Well, good evening. It's good to see those of you who are here in person. Glad to have those of you who are with us online, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube there. Be sure to like, to heart, to share. Uh, subscribe there on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, do all those things. Comment in any of those that you're on. Uh, that just helps to get the word out. It also lets us know, uh, in particular, who's watching. Some of those we can see uh, when you comment that, uh, who you are. Uh, others, we, don't, we aren't able to see that. On our phone live streaming, we know who's calling. Uh, or who is getting called uh, there. And so if you need that number, uh, please see me after the service. Uh, you can call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. But welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. If you have access to our church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com under the info tab for the bulletins uh, for today, for the worship bulletin, as well as uh, the children's worship bulletins. Let me just say a word about the worship bulletin for tonight, uh, because we've already talked about this a little bit amongst ourselves. Uh, the songs are incorrect for tonight's service. The sermon is incorrect for tonight's service, so uh, the whole thing down there didn't get changed. Uh, this week we were sending out the church newsletter, and so that was uh, more priority than making sure we got this all correct on Sunday night. So we will be in Genesis chapter 8 tonight for the passage, so uh, be sure to get that downloaded if you need that, as well as the prayer list there, be sure to get that downloaded. Uh, and then also, while you're there on the church website, go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Uh, you can set up your online giving there as a recurring gift, a one-time gift. You can designate. There's several things that Pastor Matt has mentioned even uh, in the newsletter uh, that you may want to pay attention to with the QR codes there. You can also do that just going to the, uh, to the uh, online donation there and be able to designate what specific thing you want to do there. So the white envelopes are for uh, our regular offerings, and then the pink ones are still for our golden offering for Tennessee missions. I've got my trusty backpack up here with me tonight just to remind you once again, if you didn't stop to see me this morning uh, and you want to help uh, with helping to fill these up, as you can see, it's not full. And so we don't want to send a complete, uh, an incomplete bag out. Uh, we want a full bag to go out. And so we need some help in getting just a few more items uh, for each one of the bags. So if you'd be willing to help with that, uh, please see me tonight after the service so I can get some information from you. If you're at home, and you want to help to do that, you can uh, do that in one of two ways. You can either comment there uh, and give us a contact, uh, send us a, a, probably best to send us a direct message there so that we can get some contact information from you uh, of how you want to be contacted. And, or uh, you can um, go to the online giving there and just give uh, to missions there, and we'll make sure that that gets designated there to uh, this in the missions uh, offering uh, for the backpack ministry. So either way, we can pick up the things for you or you can pick those up. Uh, so we'll get that information to you, what we need you to do. Brother Mike, if you'll come. So the words on the screen will be correct. We're going to take your hymnals and turn to 279 and let's sing, Oh Master, Let Me Walk With Thee. It's back. Master, let me walk with thee in lonely path of service free. Teach me thy secret, help me bear the strain of toil, the fret of care. Help me. The slow of heart to 
Thank you, Miss Pat. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Genesis chapter 8. I've entitled tonight's message, A New Beginning, and that's what we're going to see here. So last time we were in Genesis 6. I've already preached a message before in Genesis 7 uh, with the actual flood and, and uh, the, the 40 days on, on the water there. Uh, but we're coming to the end of the flood in Genesis uh, chapter 8 here. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that are in this, a lot of ground for us to cover. So I feel like we should get through everything uh, pretty well, maybe even just a tad early. I say that and I've jinxed myself. So. <laughs> All right, let's stand as we read God's Word. We're going to read Genesis chapter 8 and just uh, beginning with verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, that we can have an assurance from your word tonight that even when we have concerns and cares in this world, Lord, you are always with us. You've never left us nor forsaken us. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us through this passage in Genesis chapter 8 and help us, Lord, to see the relevancy for our lives tonight. Uh, Father, I pray that we'll see the application that we can apply. And Father, I pray that you will just use it also to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior so that they might trust in him before it's too late. So bless your word tonight. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. Help us to hear your voice speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> you know, when we're anxious and we're searching the Bible for something encouraging to read, we're more likely to turn to a place like Romans 8 than we are Genesis 8. Uh, is there a verse that stands out to you in Romans 8 that you remember? Romans 8, 28. That's one of the verses that stands out uh, to me uh, that tells us that God loves those. He, he, he's always with us. Uh, let me just flip over there. I didn't put it on the screen there for you. Um, but in Romans 8, in verse 28, it says that he works all things out uh, for good to those who love the Lord. Uh, it says here in Romans 8, 28, 
It says, and we know that those who love God, uh, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's an encouraging verse to us when we're facing uh, anxiousness in our lives. I mean, Romans chapter 8 isn't it, is one of the most encouraging chapters in all of the scripture. When you look at Genesis chapter 8, is kind of looking at here and describing God's mop-up, if you will, operation after the flood, cleaning up everything after the flood. But I want to encourage you the next time that you find yourself in a storm, in an anxious time in your life, Genesis 8 can give you a new hope and, an, and a new encouragement because the major theme of this chapter is renewal and rest after a time of tribulation. So this chapter is going to record the end of uh, the flood, the end of the storm, the beginning of the new life and the hope uh, for God's people and God's creation. So just think about it. Uh, just think about what God does in Genesis chapter 8 and let it encourage you. Here's some of the things I want you to see that can be encouraging from Genesis chapter 8. Here's the first thing. God remembers his own. When you look there at verse 1, it begins, but God remembered Noah. So think about that for just a moment. Uh, we talked about last time about how Noah uh, was, a, was a just man. Uh, out of all the peoples that were on the earth, he was the one who God came to and told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this ark, uh, and I want you to get on this ark. He even shared the message with the people uh, all around him. They saw him building this ark. They saw the message that it was and that it represented that God's judgment was coming. They knew that in the name of Methuselah. When Methuselah had passed away, they knew it was coming. What was it? It was the judgment that was coming. And yet over and over the people rejected for over a hundred years the message uh, of Noah. And Noah and his family, his three sons and their three wives and his own wife, were the only ones who got on this ark. And everything and every person on the face of this earth that wasn't in the ark was destroyed, was killed. You know, when you think about that, here is Noah out of all the people that have been on the face of the earth, and the Bible tells us God remembered Noah. That's an encouraging thing for us tonight to think that the Lord, you know, sometimes when we are in difficult times, when we're going through a storm, it's easy for us to feel like I'm just all alone. There's nobody knows what I'm going through. We think the Lord has forgotten us. In our mind, we can remember what Hebrews 13 verse 5 says and maybe even quote it that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But in our heart, we still feel lonely. In our heart, we still feel abandoned. And maybe we're even questioning, where is our God? When will the storm come to an end? You know, feeling forsaken and feeling abandoned is a normal human emotion that most of us have experienced whether we admit it or not. Uh, the psalmist did in Psalm chapter 10 and verse 1. He said, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Paul said, remember about Paul, he described his own ministry and his own life, and he said that his troubles in Asia had been so severe that he even almost gave up on life itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. 
And Jesus himself, who experienced uh, the, 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 the greatest of all human trials, cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Matthew 27 and verse 46. So feeling forsaken, feeling abandoned is nothing new to the people of God. But then we remember the song. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. The word remembered in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, understand what it doesn't mean. It does not mean to call something to mind that has been forgotten. In other words, it's not saying that God forgot all about Noah and he remembered him. Oh yeah, wait a second, there's Noah out there in this ark. I forgot about him. No, that's not what it's saying in there in the word remembered. God can't forget anything because he knows the end from the beginning. Rather, what it means is to pay attention to, to fulfill a promise and act on behalf of somebody. For example, God's promise in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17 says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That means that God doesn't hold our sins against us or treat us uh, as, as sinners. He knows what we've done. It's not like poof, he just magically forgot. He, he knows what we've done, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgotten. God deals with us as though our sins had never been committed. He doesn't remember them against us anymore. So to remember means also to act on behalf of another. You think about this. God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot uh, from the destruction in Sodom. Uh, the Lord uh, remembered Rachel and Hannah and enabled them to conceive and bear sons. The Lord remembered his covenant and delivered the Jewish people from bondage uh, there in Egypt. So to remember implies a previous commitment by, made by God and it announces the fulfillment of that commitment. So here's Noah and his family and these animals that have been together in this ark for over a year. That's a lot of togetherness, isn't it? I mean, they're stuck on this boat. They can't go anywhere. I mean, they're having to clean up after all these animals. And where are you putting all that? Because the ark's closed up. Uh, and so you wonder if they got impatient with each other or they got on each other's nerves. I'm sure they did. I mean, we see what happened with COVID. We got on each other's nerves, didn't we, when we were confined to home? We wanted something to do. Well, here was God who who had not spoken to them after he shut them into this ark. So perhaps somebody in the family uh, had, had experienced an, an occasional fleeting fear that maybe God doesn't care about us anymore. Maybe he's forgotten about us. I mean, there's nothing out here anymore. Where is God? God not only remembered Noah and his family, though, he also remembered these animals uh, that were with them uh, in the ark. And so it says God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And so we see here 
that he remembered these creatures, uh, he cared for these creatures, he spared these animals so that they could live on this renewed earth and reproduce after their kind. It was his desire that all of these animals uh, and all of his creatures enjoy the earth and contribute to the happiness of the people that he had created in his own image. One thing we can be sure of is this, is that God never forgets us. God never forsakes his people, not only because of his promises, but also because of his character, of who he is. Because God is love, and where there's love, there's faithfulness. He, he can never uh, deny himself or his word because he is the faithful God. And he can never change because he's immutable. He's unchangeable. Because he's perfect, God can't change for the better because he is the better. Uh, he, he's holy. He can't change for the worse uh, either. So we can depend on him no matter what your circumstance is, no matter how you feel, you can depend on God. That's the first thing we see about God. Secondly, we see that God renews his world. So he not only remembers his own, he renews his world. Uh, and so we want to pick up with the second half of verse 1, and, and we're going to go down to verse 7, and we'll stop for just a moment. And then we'll pick up through the rest to verse 14. So verse 1 continues and says... And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened up the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 24 that we didn't look at before this message here, you find out that the flood had reached its peak in 150 days. I mean, you look at the news reports and you see the stuff online right now that's happened up in the northeast, up around New York uh, City there in Brooklyn and all those areas. They've been flooded uh, with a lot of rain. Uh, but that was nothing compared to what this was. The heavy rains, though, now, and the explosions of the water uh, that had come up to flood the earth uh, had, been, had stopped in verse 1 and verse 2. And so for the next five months, God causes the water to recede and leave the dry land behind. So get this. We know how many days and nights did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. But that's not the end of it. So it's not a 40-day journey, and we're getting off at the end of 40 days. We've got to wait for all the water to go down. We've got to wait for it to go down so much until the Lord tells us when we're going to go out of this ark. And so it's a long time that they're in this ark, not just the 40 days, which would have been enough in and of itself. Uh, but here for the next five months, God causes these waters to recede and to leave the dry land behind. You ever thought about that? Where did all that water go? Never underestimate the power of moving water. 
It's possible that the flood had, you remember there was such an upheaval of water coming from beneath uh, that, that also caused the, the contours of the land to change. Probably the, the plates of the earth began to shift and that created some of the, somewhat of the oceans, somewhat of the lakes and, and some of the big lakes that are around, some of the rivers uh, that are around. Some of that probably evaporated into the sky so that we have the clouds that we have so that we continually uh, have rain that, that's always falling somewhere uh, on the earth. There were eruptions that had happened beneath the earth. Whole continents, whole mountain ranges uh, could have risen and fallen, creating these huge areas uh, where the water could spill. The winds that God sent over the earth, that probably, as we said, helped to evaporate it, but also to move it to places that God had provided. Think about this. A God who, had, who was powerful enough to cover the earth with the water is also wise enough to know how to dispose of it when the work's done. Centuries later, think about it, God's wind would bring the locusts into Egypt and later drive them into the sea in Exodus chapter 10. God's wind, you remember, also uh, was used by God to, to open up the Red Sea and to make a dry path for the people of Israel as they left Egypt. The stormy wind that we're reading about here fulfills God's word. Psalm 148 verse 8 says this, Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. God uses creation around us to bring about His will. Notice when all of this begins to happen here in verse 4. It's the 17th day of the seventh month that the ark rests on the peaks of the mountains of Ararat, which is located in what we know today as modern-day Turkey. We don't know exactly which peak it was. Explorers have searched. We've seen documentaries that they've said this is the ark. We don't know. It could be. It may not be. Uh, in later years... We do know this, the seventh month for the Jews became a very special month because during that month they ushered in uh, the, the new year with the Feast of the Trumpets, uh, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of the Tabernacles. That happened in Leviticus chapter 23 in the seventh month. So get that correlation there. The ark rests on the mountain. The same month is when it initiates uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Hebrew text tells us that the ark came to rest. Now that's important because if you go back and you look at Noah and what his name means, his name means rest. And that's what his uh, father Lamech had hoped that his son would do, that he would bring rest on this weary world, on the wicked world that he was living in at that time. You go back to Genesis and chapter 5 and verse 28 and verse 29. Here's what the scripture says. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or rest from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And so it was Noah who would be used by God to bring this restoration, this renewal uh, into the land. Think about it. Even though the ark had rested safely, where was Noah? He's still inside and he's still waiting on the Lord to tell him what to do. 
Now, you remember when we looked at chapter 6, that's exactly what he did. He did everything the Lord told him to do when he built the ark. So it was part of his character, part of his nature <coughs> to wait on the Lord to tell him what to do. He waited 40 days. And we know here, after they had, this is after they had settled uh, on the top of Mount Ararat, uh, the mountains there. He, he's waited for those 40 days, and he sends out a raven. Uh, now, ravens were unclean birds. They fed on dead flesh. Uh, and it would have felt right at home on any of those floating carcasses that would have been floating around uh, in the water. Noah waited a week because that bird didn't come back. Uh, Noah waited a week and then sent out a dove, which being a clean bird found no place to land. So it returned to the ark. Let's continue on. So verse 8 and verse 9 says, then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. We'll go down to verse 10, down through verse 11. He waited another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So a week later he sends the dove out again. When it returns, it returns with this fresh olive leaf. Now, uh, could it have happened that God made this olive uh, branch, this olive tree begin to grow up in a week? Could have. But it probably was already growing, uh, just wasn't a place yet for it to be found above the water there. The waters are seeding, the tree is growing, and in another week here it's pushed out uh, from underneath uh, the water there, and the branches are sticking out, new olive leaves are coming out on the branch, and this bird finds it, lands on that branches, pulls that off, probably to take it back like any bird would to build its nest with, and it returns to the ark, and fresh life has appeared on the earth. So this dove bearing an olive branch is a familiar symbol to us of peace around the world. So a week later when Noah sent the dove out the third time, it didn't return. So pick up, if you will, with verse 12. So verse 12 says, And he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And so when this, he sends this, third, sends this dove out the third time, it doesn't come back. He knows the water's dried up. Noah had built, uh, if you will, a window or some kind of hatch in the upper deck of the ark. Uh, there you find that back in verse 6. You find it there in verse 13. He opens it so he can now look out uh, and check the world around him. This is on the, uh, on the day they had been in the ark for an entire year now. Noah saw that the ground was dry. But what does he do? He stays in the ark. He doesn't move out of the ark until the Lord tells him to leave. Twenty-six days later, 
that order comes, and he obeyed it. Have you ever seen that? I mean, think about that at, at, at a birthday for a kid or Christmas for a kid, and you have to keep telling the kids, no, you got to wait. you got to wait on your present. It's, they see it's right there, but they have to keep waiting, and they have to keep waiting. He sees the dry ground. He sees the dry land, and, and we find out here that for another 26 days, he has to stay inside until the Lord tells him, what to do. Verse 15, then God said to Noah. And that's where we come to our third point, that God rewards faith. God rewards faith. He remembers his own. He renews his world. He renews us. And, and he also rewards our faithfulness. Uh, so notice verse 15 down through verse 19. Verse 15 said, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Now, if you'll remember, when Noah was told to go into the ark, Noah went into the ark, and who shut the door? God did. So that's why he's waiting on the Lord. Lord, you're the one who shut the door. Lord, you're the one who's going to have to open the door. What a lesson that is for us uh, in life, in life experiences. Lord, you may have shut a door, but Lord, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to keep waiting. And if I have to wait 26 days, or I have to wait 100 days, or I have to wait the whole year, I'm going to keep waiting on you till you open the door. That's what we see here with Noah. Noah remains faithful to the Lord. He doesn't run ahead of the Lord. He doesn't drag his feet when the Lord tells him, you and your wife and your kids and their wives, you're able to go out now. He doesn't waste any time there. So he's not running ahead of the Lord. He's not running behind the Lord. He's trying to stay right with the Lord. Noah was a man of faith whose name is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 with those other heroes of faith. He had the faith to walk with God when the people of the world were ignoring and disobeying God. He had the faith to, to work for God when he was building on that ark, when he was teaching his sons uh, how to build uh, that ark as the Lord had given him the directions of what to do. Uh, he had the faith as he witnessed uh, for God, even with all the opposition around him, uh, when opposition to the truth was, uh, w was the popular thing. Uh, now that the flood's over... He's still exercising faith by waiting on God before leaving the ark. So understand this. Exercising our faith is not just doing. So often we think of faith as I've got to do something. Part of our exercising of our faith is just waiting. Waiting on the Lord. And that's what he was doing. He waited on God before leaving the ark. So after being confined to the ark for over a year now, 
he and his family, I just imagine they couldn't wait to get out of that ark back on the dry land where they could maybe even get a little distance between themselves, breathe some fresh air uh, around them. But they waited for God's directions. So even though circumstances on the earth look good, you may be looking around at the circumstances that are going on in your life and you may be thinking, but it looks good, Lord. It looks like this is what I should do. It looks like this is the optimal time, the, the place to go, the thing to do. But understand this, circumstances on the earth look good for them to leave the ark, but that was no guarantee that God wanted them to leave immediately and begin their new life. Obedient faith is our response to God's word. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says this about faith. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God, through the word of Christ. And we might wonder as Noah lifts that opening uh, to, to, or even when he's sending those birds out, if, if, that's, if Noah was revealing some unbelief when he sent out the birds or even when he opened that hatch to, to look at the land around him. I don't think so. What he was simply doing here was, was using the available opportunities to gather data. So understand this, it's not wrong to, to have an understanding of the situation. It's okay to look around you at the circumstances and the situations to be prepared so that when God does say go, you've already looked at the landscape, you've already counted the cost, uh, you've already seen, well, this is where I feel like the Lord is leading me to go, so that when he says, okay, it's time to go, you're ready then to step forward by faith. It isn't wrong to have an understanding of a situation. The thing we have to be careful of is to not lean on our own understanding. Like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 6 says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So you're to trust in Him. You're to look at the landscape around you, examine the cost and, and be prepared to, to get ready to go. But He says, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. So obeying the will of God involves not only doing the right thing the right way for the right motive, but it also means doing it at the right time. And that's the problem we have. We can't wait. We have, especially here in America, we're such a, a society of convenience, of instant gratification, of instant things. I mean, one of the, the things that... W excited us and even coming here, uh, and this is not the reason we came here, but it's just one of those things that was a perk of coming here, if you will, was the high-speed internet. Man, when you're, when, you're, when you're on 60 megabytes download speed and upload speed, and you come here and you can get a thousand, you can get a whole gigabyte uh, of upload and download. Uh, and I get that at home. <laughs> on my TV, I can get about 900 and something uh, on that. It's instant. We want it instant. You know, we, we, can, we want to purchase something. We go on our iPad or we go on our device or we go on our computer and we click Amazon. And we scroll through and we see, oh, there, I want that. And we push that button and, oh, I want that and push that button. And then next thing you know, you're pushing pay and, and a package is being delivered to your house in two days. Instant gratification. Here's Noah. He's doing things 
the right way. He's doing things with the right motive. But we also need to make sure not only are we doing the right thing, but that we're doing it in the right time. And God rewarded Noah's faith and the faith of his family by caring for them in that ark while they were there that whole year and then preparing the earth for them so that they could leave the ark. So think about that. I mean, this isn't some of those things that boggle our mind. We don't know the answers to some of these things. The scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, we just know that the, the, the ark was full. Uh, it was full of animals. It was full of, it had eight people that were taking care of all those animals that were on that boat. But what about all the food? There had to be a lot of food on there to feed all those animals and to feed themselves. And so here they are, uh, they're on this ark and, and they're, they're there for over a year and God keeps providing and God keeps providing and God keeps providing. Noah was kind of like a second Adam, if you will, as he made this new beginning for the human race. God had brought the earth out of the waters during the creation week, preparing it for Adam and Eve, and now he's brought the earth through the flood and made it ready for Noah and his family. And the Lord even gave Noah's family and the animals the same mandate that was given back at the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. That's what verse 17 says. So Noah prepared the ark, when he prepared the ark, Hebrews tells us Noah had prepared the ark for the saving of his household, Hebrews 11, verse 4. God was faithful to save his household. Noah had pleaded with others to join him, to join his family in the ark. But of course, nobody took the message serious and the world of that day perished. What was it that caused the population to reject God's word and to perish? You know what? They were like people in the Lord's parable in Luke chapter 14 and verse 16 to verse 24 who were occupied with ordinary things of daily life and unconcerned about eternity. Oh Lord, I don't have time. I got to go. Let me go do this first. Let me go do that first. And they weren't concerned about eternity. They believed in that parable that Jesus shares. They believed that, that life is just going to keep on going on like it always had. Nothing's going to change. They said God's not going to invade this world and interrupt the scheme of things. But he did. People today have that same attitude concerning the return of the Lord. When it comes to saving faith, every single one of us has to trust Christ Personally, You can't be saved by the faith uh, of a substitute. Uh, Noah wasn't saved because of his wife. Uh, his three sons weren't saved because of their three daughters-in-laws or their wives. Uh, th they were all also believers. Each one of them made their choice to come and to become a part of living in this ark. They proved it by standing by Noah while he worked. They proved it while he witnessed. They proved it by standing by him when they entered the ark in obedience to the Lord. There's another thing, though, that we see that's an encouraging application for us when we go through trials and we begin to realize the Lord will not forsake us nor leave us. Notice what happens here with Noah in verse 20. God receives worship. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So get the picture, after he steps out of the ark, he stands on this renewed earth 
Noah was so filled with gratitude that his very first act was to lead his family in worship. For us, all too often, that's the last thing we do. It's tacked on to the end of the week. If I've got time, I'll go to worship. If I'm not too busy with this activity or that activity. The very first thing he did after they got off of this ark, after they had gone through this trial, was to worship the Lord. He built this offer, altar. He offered some of the clean animals as sacrifices to the Lord. Now, we know Noah, he was a, a balanced believer. He walked with the Lord in loving fellowship and enjoyed his presence. He worked for the Lord in building the ark and, and witnessed for the Lord as a preacher of righteousness, as 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says he was. While he was in the ark, he waited, as we said, for the Lord, uh, for instructions concerning leaving. And once he was standing on the earth, he worshiped the Lord. What a balanced life he lived. That's the way we need to be. It was like Abel. He, he brought God his very best. And like Seth's remnants, he called on the name of the Lord. True worship of the Lord had been restored on the earth. Now, the old, in Old Testament days, when you sacrificed a burnt offering, uh, you gave the entire animal or bird to the Lord with nothing kept back. All on the altar was a biblical law because the sacrifice symbolized total dedication to the Lord. So get the picture. Noah's not putting these animals on the altar and, you know what, we're going to have some good eating after we get done offering these sacrifices. No. It was completely consumed before the Lord, all on the altar. In a new step of commitment, Noah gives himself and his family completely to the Lord. Because God, you remember, God had just graciously protected him, had brought them through this storm, so it was only fitting that they make themselves now available to the Lord. They were offering themselves even as a sacrifice before the Lord. The description of God in verse 21 goes on to say that when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. When it says there that, that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, that's a human way for us to, to state a divine truth. God was satisfied with the sacrifice, is what that's saying. He accepted the sacrifice. He was pleased with his people and their worship. If God refused to smell the sacrifice of the offering, it meant he was displeased with the worshipers. In the New Testament language, the sacrifice speaks of Jesus Christ offering himself up for us. And here's what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says about Jesus that he, and that we are to do. We are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. When he gave himself up for us, it says, he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in and of ourselves, we can't please God by what we are or by what we do. But by faith, we can be accepted in Jesus Christ. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your filthy rags. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when you look at what happened here on the ark, 
Like the ark that saved Noah and his family, Jesus Christ went through the storm of God's judgment for us. Noah was a type or a picture of Christ. It's kind of like Jonah in the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus in, in his death and burial and resurrection. Three days Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Three days uh, Jesus was in the tomb. So God's wrath because of his disobedience uh, came on, on Jesus for our sins, but Jesus went through the storm out of his own obedience to God's will. And that leads us to our final thing that we see about God in verse 21 and verse 22, that God reaffirms the natural order. So again, verse 21 said, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now, when you read these words, understand the Lord's not speaking to Noah at this point. He's not speaking to Noah. He's speaking these words to himself, to his own heart. He says this in his own heart. It was his gracious response to Noah's faith, to Noah's obedience, to his worship. What did God promise? The ground's not going to be cursed anymore. Isn't that what Lamech, his father, had hoped? That here was the one who was going to come and bring rest from our weariness and the ground not being cursed anymore. God had cursed the ground because of Adam's sin, and he had added the further curse because of Cain's sin in chapter 4 uh, of Genesis. And God's promise recorded here doesn't invalidate either of those curses, and they won't be removed until Jesus ultimately returns uh, and, and comes back the second time. Uh, but in his grace, God had decided, I'm not going to add any more to man's burdens. And so no more universal floods, as verse 21 says. The ground is not going to be cursed anymore. God had also determined there wouldn't be any future floods. His reason is given in verse 21 there. He says, for the imagination of man's heart is evil, or although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. The Lord had originally sent the flood, if you go back to Genesis 6 verse 5, because of the evil hearts of the people. So not to send another judgment, would make it look like the flood was a mistake or a failure or that God had given up on the human race created in his own image. God was saying, yes, people even after Noah are still going to deserve judgment. They're still going to deserve judgment. Why? Because of the wickedness in their heart. And to persist in sin and not learn the lesson from the flood only shows just how evil they are. But here's what God says. In my grace, I will not send another flood or curse the ground. God spoke those words in response to Noah's sacrifice. And that the sacrifice was a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So on the basis of the atonement that was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross, God could say a price has been paid for the sins of the world and I can withhold judgment. Justice has been met. My law has been upheld and I can show grace to a lost world. 
I will not send another flood and wipe out the human race. Instead, I will offer them my great salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't judge sin today. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be future judgment of this world out in the future. Romans chapter 1 verse 8 makes it clear that God's judgment is being revealed against sinners right now through the consequences of our sin. God gave them in, in Romans uh, chapter 1 there, he gave them over uh, to a reprobate mind, gave them over to their sinful bondage, and, and gave them up to the consequences of their sins in their own bodies. And that's what he does so often for us. One of the greatest judgments that God can send to sinners is to let people have their own way and, and then pay for, uh, pay for it with their own lives. <coughs> And that's what we see is the judgment that our world is experiencing even right now. So what he's saying here is that there will be a future global judgment, but not a judgment of water. It will be a judgment of fire, 2 Peter chapter 3. So no interruption of the cycle of nature. Notice verse 22 there. The flood had interrupted that normal cycle. For that whole year, just over a year there, the normal cycle had not been uh, of the cold and the heat, the summer and the winter, the day and the night, uh, the harvest and the seed time. There had been no harvest. There had been no uh, seed time. Uh, but he says that that normal cycle of the seasons for a year uh, had not been repeated during that time. Instead, God reaffirms now the rhythm of days and weeks and seasons that that's going to continue as long as the earth endures. Without that guarantee, we couldn't be sure of having the necessities of life. So think about how the steady cycle of days and nights and weeks and months and seasons and years, how all of that is maintained by the rotation of the earth on its axis and the orbit of the earth around the sun. And God made it that way so that this universe could operate effectively. Now think about that. There's myriads of galaxies to choose from. But the Lord chose to pour his love and his grace down upon us. And so he arranged the universe so that the living things on the earth might be maintained. And that includes us who too often forget that God is caring for us. The guarantee in Genesis 8 verse 22 says, While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. When you read that, that ought to give you encouragement. That ought to give you hope as we face an unknown future. Because every time we go to bed for the night or we turn the calendar to a new month as we do today, we ought to be reminded that God is concerned about this planet and about its inhabitants. You think about the, the invention of electric lights and modern forms of transportation and communication, and our world has moved so far away from living by the cycles of nature that were established by God. We no longer go to bed at sundown, get up at sunrise. We don't live in that agrarian type community anymore we, for the most part. Uh, if we don't like the weather, you can just get in your vehicle or get on a plane and go somewhere else. If you don't like it being cold, you can go somewhere where it's warm. They didn't have that option that much back then. It took a long time to get there. But think about this. If God was to dim the sun and to rearrange the seasons and tilt the earth at a different angle, our lives would be in danger. 
So think about that. All of this on this earth is spinning around our sun throughout this galaxy of stars that we live in. And we so often forget all of that is by the hand of God. God calls us to live one day at a time. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread and to be thankful for it. Deuteronomy 33 verse 25 says, As your days, so shall your strength be. When his disciples warned Jesus not to go to Bethany, he said, Are there not 12 hours in the day? He obeyed the Father's schedule. He lived a day at a time, which is what we need to do, trusting the Father that, Lord, Father God, you're going to care for me. And so understand that God's covenant of day and night, that's especially meaningful to the people of Israel because it guarantees them God's care and his protection so that they will never cease to be a nation. God's promise that he will not send another flood is an assurance to us even that his covenant with us will never be broken. And so often we're prone to take for granted the sunrise that'll come tomorrow, the sunset that just happened a few minutes ago. We're prone to take for granted the changing face of the moon, the changing seasons. But all of those things are evidences that God is on the throne, God is keeping his promises, all of creation preaches a constant sermon day after day, season after season that assures us of God's loving care. And we can trust his word as 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56 says, that there has not failed one word of all his good promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for always keeping your word, even when we have not always been faithful to keep yours. Lord, we know that, and so we come before you tonight asking your forgiveness, asking your cleansing, and asking you, Lord, to set us on a path of righteousness, not empty-handed, but filled with your spirit that would lead us and guide us in every decision that we make each and every day. Father, we come to you tonight and we just ask for you to speak truth into our hearts. Lord, that if there is any sin in our hearts, may we confess those things before you and may you forgive us of all of our sins. Lord, if there are those who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, may they do that tonight, simply calling out to you, admitting their sin, trusting in Jesus as their Savior, inviting him into their hearts and lives to change their life forever. And Lord, I pray that you would change them, that they would rest in the promises of your word. Lord, may Genesis chapter 8 be a new source for us of a new beginning, a source for us of, of hope in the midst of the storm. To know, Lord, that even through all of that, that Noah went through, even through all we go through in this life, you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You will be with us through the, to the other side. So, Father, we give ourselves to you, and we ask you to take us and use us in whatever days we have left. And may you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 285, wherever he leads, I'll go. As we stand, will you make your way and come?
Amen. Thank you for joining with us online there. We look forward to seeing you again, though, on Wednesday. Uh, we'll be back again in the Old Testament there in, uh, in the next book uh, after Zephaniah. Uh, Haggai. Haggai. Yeah. I was trying to think. I'm, I'm in the New Testament this morning, Old Testament tonight, Haggai on Wednesday night, because I've already been thinking ahead beyond Haggai to Zephaniah, to Zechariah, uh, and so <laughs> a lot of things in the head there. So Haggai is where we'll be. I uh, encourage you to come and join us if you can in person. Don't forget to be praying about Awana. Our youth will be meeting also on Wednesday night. Uh, pray for those leaders. Uh, want to pray for Mark Smith and his family and the passing of his dad. They'll be doing his service tomorrow. Uh, right, and so they'll be traveling, so keep them in your prayers. Uh, and Miss Linda won't be here with us too, but we've got everything I think covered for that. So pray for all those workers uh, as she is gone too. But we look forward to seeing you Wednesday night. You have a blessed week and stay safe. We'll see you then.